They may not have seen it all, but they've experienced. Fourth and 26. Stinks it in trash. AI's crossover. Throwing batteries at J.D. Drew. Brad Lidge hugging Carlos Ruiz. The Legion of Doom. And thousands of wins and losses over three decades of fandom. Talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Here are your hosts, Joe O'Donnell and John Mita. It is the one and only Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com and iTunes. You can subscribe and download on iTunes. We hope you do. Support us on Twitter as well, at Love Podcast. Joe Donald, John Mita here with you. Johnny Meats, what's shaking, dude? Well, not much, man. Not much. Just uh, uh, another angry week, buddy. That's what it's going to come down to. I know, and when you consider now four losses in five games, if my math is correct, I mean, it's been a miserable month of football. And unfortunately, it all started with that Lions game, which, you know, Ryan Matthews doesn't fumble the ball. They probably steal that game, and I don't know. There's so many what-ifs. That's the National Football League. You look around, there's a lot of good teams that are in the 4-4 four and four mix, a lot of teams that you and I probably at the start of the year would have picked to win their division or be 11-5, and 12-4 type teams, and they're just not there. The Green Bay Packers are four and four. You know the Arizona Cardinals are three, four, and one. Uh, the Seahawks already have two losses. The Falcons might be the best team in the NFC. They're six and three. So there's nobody unbeatable uh, right now in the National Football League. That's just the reality of it. But the Eagles lose twenty-eight, twenty-three in the Meadowlands or whatever the hell they call that place now, and it was just another absolute gut-wrenching. You know, if they got their doors blown off, you know, you go down 14 nothing so early, uh, I wouldn't have made it any better. But as you point out with the Dallas game, you know, when you lose the way they lost now back-to-back weeks, it's disheartening. And now you're 0-3 in the division and completely screwed if a tiebreaker is going to settle things in the NFC East. Yeah, they did not put themselves in a good position at all. Um, and you just can't lose these division games. The crazy part is, this team is not getting blown out. I mean, they're pretty much in every single ball game. They just their problem right now is finishing. And Carson Wentz has had a couple times where he could have taken his team on his shoulder for the game-winning drive and get it done, but he's faltered. Now, has he faltered because the play calling has just been so horrendous, or is it a lack of weapons, or is it just simply? He's a rookie, and he's going to go through his growing thing. So it's just disheartening. I mean, we never – the first three games of the season, they started off very fast. They got off the good start. Yeah, scoring on the first and, drive of each of those games right. and not turning the football over. The Eagles have been right. crushed by turnovers the last few weeks. You and I know, our listeners out there know, you turn the ball over in the NFL and you're winning per, your chance of winning decreases so significantly – it's not even funny. Um, you know, so that's a huge part of it for me as well. Look, here, here's what we're going to get into. We're, we are going to talk a little Sixers. Johnny Mead is going to have a little Sixers update. I'm going to kind of rant about the Flyers real quick. Haven't been, you know, watching a ton as much as I'd like. But, you know, you can pull some numbers and look that right now they're a 500 hockey club. That certainly needs to improve. So we'll get there probably in our second segment. We're going to start with the Birds, get into Sixers and Flyers for a minute. Um 
Again, you can always email the show, brotherlylovepodcast at yahoo.com. All right, Johnny, I mean, I know one of the things you wanted to get into, you sort of wanted to play the blame game. Uh, we did it last week as they fell to the Cowboys Sunday night down the stretch. You and I both pinned it on Doug Peterson. Where are you putting this one? Whose shoulders does this loss fall on? Again, second week in a row. It's got to go to Doug Peterson. Some of the play calls that he made in crucial situations where he just decided to go for it. I love aggressiveness. I get it. I'm a big proponent of it. I think it shows, you know, you're putting some confidence, you're putting some faith in your football team to get the job done. But there's a time and a place to be aggressive. And if you are going to be aggressive, stop calling some dumbass plays. Like, <laughs> my whole thing is like, it's fourth and three. You're going to do a read option. But crazy Carson Wentz, he's a decent athlete. But it's not like you're sending Cam Newton, Russell Wilson around the corner. Somebody with a little giddy-up, a Dak Prescott. And it just, why not throw the ball a five-yard pass? You know, a couple, put the running backs out there. You can't tell me that that was their best play call on fourth and three. And Jason Pierre-Paul, honest to God, Joe, it looked like he knew the play was coming. Most of the time in the read option, it's all based on, the, the entire play is based on whatever the defensive end does that's the way you read it. Right. If he sinks down, if he comes in, you know, you go around the end, you keep the ball. If he plays to the outside and stays at home, then you hand the ball off if he maintains his lane. And he just swallowed it up. Again, another ridiculous play call. Fourth and one. Instead of running sprolls between the tackles, why don't you put in a guy like Ryan Matthews? where he pretty much falls forward on every carry. Or perhaps try Kenyon Barner, who they ran in a goal line situation and was able to get a touchdown. It's just some of the personnel decisions have been a little suspect. And for God's sakes, one thing that is really ticking me the hell off, Joe, is these wide receivers. My God, are they terrible. <laughs> and they're just and the reason why they're terrible, I don't even know what routes they're running. First of all, DGB looks like he's out for a Sunday stroll, the Sunday jog. I don't know what he's doing. He just doesn't seem to like, it just doesn't even look like he's running hard. It just, he's just out. He's a one-trick pony. He can do the slant route. And none of our, our wide receivers, none of them, they, they never double move. I've never seen a group just. And the other thing is Carson Wentz, there was one play where he pretty much scrambled and when they go on a scramble drill, okay, the object for the wide receiver is to come back from the whatever pattern they run and work themselves back to the quarterback. It was like 13, 14 seconds, and our receivers still can't get open. So that's definitely something that's got to be addressed. At this point, I'm pretty much only looking to keep uh, Matthews. Everyone else, see you later. Well, let me ask you this. Can can Carson Wentz run at the National Football League level? Does he have the speed? I'm I'm now after Sunday's game. I brought this up last week's podcast as well. I'm now I'm now convinced that he will not be any type of a running threat in his career. I don't. He's not going to get faster. I I just don't yeah. get it. I thought this guy was supposed to be able to move. Yeah, he has it. He has not outrun anybody in any game on any play that I've watched so far. He hasn't scrambled for 15 yards in a first down. 
He hasn't broken contain outside on the corner and gone for eight yards and run out of bounds. I mean, maybe one play, seriously, that I can think of where he, like, scrambled for seven yards and ran out of bounds. He's not shaking guys. Has he made, has he, has he made a guy miss with a move in the open field? No. And look, I'm not asking the quarterback to be Barry Sanders, but I thought part of the hype of this kid was that he could do this. And I look, and if you're going to compare him to Big Ben as opposed to a Russell Wilson or a Cam Newton, that's fine. But at least those guys, at least Roethlisberger, you know, he'll shake a tackle, or if he breaks out, he can run. This guy doesn't even run. The first time they've given him design runs maybe all season was Sunday, and they were brutal plays. They're worst plays of the game. Yeah. Um, the offensive line's not the issue, dude. Week. I'm sorry. The offensive line, he has had time to throw the ball. The offensive line's not been the issue, in my opinion. No, I, I don't think they have been. They got off the rough start when they had to start Big V early. Yes, yes. That game was atrocious. It. But they've gotten yeah. better. I think they, no, they've gotten better. They corrected something. The other thing is, if all your wide receivers are covered, and nobody's really spying on the quarterback, take the five yards. Yes. Take the get a first down. And we're not seeing that. And we don't know if they're just playing it in his head and like, listen, you know, the coaching staff from Frank Wright to Doug Peterson to John DeFlippo, we don't know if they're saying they don't want him to run at all, they don't want to risk him getting injured, but that was the one thing that made McNabb so special. Now, we're talking about two different type of caliber athletes. Yes. I get it. But how many times have you seen a guy like Aaron Rodgers? Now, he's definitely faster than Carson Wentz. But how many times have you seen him when people are covered and kind of gets out on the edge, scrambles, and he gets his team five, six yards? Yes. Well, that's, that's, that's all I'm looking we, for. Extend a play that breaks the heart of the defense. That Kirk Cousins play that you brought up after the Redskins debacle where he yeah. shook Nigel Bradham. And got the first down. That was a back-breaking play for the Eagles' defense. You can crush an opposing defense's will with one or two of those a game, period. Not every quarter, not every series, but once in a while on third and seven, when your receivers are running down the field, which the Eagles' receivers finally did on Sunday, deeper patterns, you've got to get to that second level of the sec- of the of the defense by yourself sometimes, with your feet. I don't know if he's not reading it, or if they're literally telling him, don't move from this area. But, I, you know, he's not throwing the ball well on the run. That first interception on Sunday was an atrocious throw off his back foot, half sidearm. I don't know what the hell he was doing. Look, you want to pin this on Doug Peterson, that's fine. This one is on the ginger general, Carson Wentz. Okay, those two early interceptions gave the Eagles a huge hill to climb up. And then at the end of the game, as you astutely pointed out, he had another chance to drive the football down the field, they get to the 17 or whatever it was, and then it was just nothing from there. And I and again, the receivers, they weren't open. They might not have been open, but still, great players find a way to make great plays in those situations. And I know there's a lot of time this kid's young, but it's about time, and I don't know what the city of Philadelphia is saying this week, it's about time somebody starts to wake this kid up a little bit. It's not good enough. Yeah. No. No. It's definitely not good enough to win a game. I mean, it's... But 364 yards is great. Bryce Treggs, deep ball, loved it. They moved, Trey Burton had some big play. You know, they were spreading it around. They're, the offense can move within the 20s. But again, for years, had the Eagles have had this issue of punching it in. 
And between the block field goal, the going forward on fourth down a couple of times, I mean, you you pissed away at least nine points. Yeah. And you hand you I'm... gift wrap the Giants fourteen to start the game with the interceptions. I mean. Look, again, I keep going back to this. If this team is not supposed to win this year, fine. Carson Wentz is getting valuable, valuable experience. I get it. But at some point, the city is not going to stand for mediocrity. And right now, 4-4 four and four is mediocrity. Yeah, especially in a conference where it's, it's wide open. wide open for yeah. the taking. Wide open. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's anybody's game. And, and he also has to look at the defense, too. And I know they were put in some rough spots, but my God, can we stop giving up 21 points at a half? I mean, it's brutal. Touche. It is brutal. And you've been all over the cornerbacks. I've never even heard of some of those Giants wide receivers. I mean, Lewis Jr.? Who the hell was Lewis Jr.? No idea. Yes, and by the way, that's one of the things I jotted down. Leotis McKelvin stinks. Oh, my goodness. How bad. He's running into his safeties. Nobody knows the coverage. I mean, it's Odell Beckham was just abusing. Yeah. And can, can Joe? Can you tell me this? And I see it all across the board in National Football League. When the ball is in the air, how come the corners never turn? Their I don't know. The receiver's the looking back. He's telling you the ball's coming. And if he if the ball wasn't coming, he'd still be running down the field, looking down the field. Nobody runs exactly. fast. When they're looking back for something, it's just not possible yeah. physics. So if he's looking yeah, back, there's a good chance that football's coming. Like I, I don't get it. Look, and it's again, the natural human reaction yes. too. When yes. the ball is getting closer, a lot of times your eyes get bigger. Yeah, it's like an absolute tell that oh my god, something's coming. Yeah, his eyes are going. <laughs> just never. I know. Turn around. Look, and I know it's full, I know it's full speed, and I know it's damn near impossible. I, I get it, but you're right. And and look, there's not a lot of clean football being played in the NFL, which is probably what makes it such an enjoyment at times for the fans. Because any given Sunday, right? We talk about it all the time. Like there's just some ugly stretches from every team in this league. You know, Seattle is still considered a Super Bowl favorite, and they look like a shell of themselves from a couple years ago. I don't know if it's parity. I don't know if it's, you know, whatever it is, the 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 way the rules are structured now, like, it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy that you could look, the Eagles could look so good for stretches of that football game and look so inept at others. And they're not the only team. There's every team in the league that's looked like that. And unfortunately, one of the teams that has is the Dallas Cowboys. And I don't understand how the hell they keep pulling, pulling off the smoke and mirrors, but... They've got a tough stretch. They have three games in 11 days coming up. I just heard on national radio on my drive to the studio here. They've got the Steelers, yeah, yeah. the Ravens, and the Redskins in 11 days. And I think two of them are, one's on the road, two's at home. But, you know, look, they're not winning all three of those games. It's not happening. No, I think they're in a bad spot this week. I think this is another week where they could, you know, Big Ben at home, he plays really well. Yeah. And they're coming off, you know, a bad loss against a division rival. I think this is a spot where the Dallas can find themselves with another loss. But hey, did you know Zach Ertz? Did you know Zach Ertz still played football? Oh, well, he was he was very prevalent in the yes. game. Wasn't that amazing? He, he the did. first play of the game, they went right to him, like to prove a point that he was still alive. Yeah, yeah. And but you know, still he's yakless. Oh. He's the yakless wonder. He is. My God. 
I know. He got tackled I mean, in the open field on Sunday, and I thought, man, Meade is snapping right now because he can't break a tackle. Uh, he's the one I've never seen. Is Brett Selleck still on the team, by the way? What's he doing? Don't Why don't they throw I him the ball? He runs guys over. I said it last week. Yeah. I mean, it was nice to see Trey Byrne get a yes, ball. Yes, I love really Trey Byrne. You know, Trey Byrne's my boy. Hang on, one yeah, last thing. I, one last thing for me, yeah, all right? Yeah. I hate Joe Buck and Troy Aikman with a passion that is so strong, I can't even describe it. Yeah, yeah. I, the, Those guys I mean, make you know, me sick to Joe my Buck. stomach. <laughs> oh, just the way they uh, talk about people, oh. certain teams that they just profess their love for. I mean, it's their job to be objective, and a lot of times, not even close. Their objective, their objectivity just gets lost. It's, it's terrible. All right, let's look at the second half of the season. Where, right, where, where are you? It starts, you know, at Atlanta or home against Atlanta on Sunday. The schedule doesn't get any easier. Is there any shot in hell right now at four and four that this is a ten and six or nine and seven possible playoff team? A lot of things got to come together. I mean, Carson's got to regain some form. The defense needs to play like 17 points a game. The problem is their schedule. I don't see it. I don't see it. But you got to hold the Falcons. Great. It's got to be 31 or less for Atlanta to even have a prayer in this game. Atlanta's defense right, isn't great, but they can yeah, put it up. Defense is terrible. They got two okay. wide. Re- they have two wide receivers that are having great years. Obviously, Julio Jones, but Sanu is playing great football. Um, yeah. probably because he's single-covered all day. And they've got a shifty, hard-running back in Devontae Freeman. Matty Ice, he and can sling it around. Right yeah, now. I mean, look, it's not going to be easy. Then you got to go at Seattle and probably against a team that's actually finding its groove at the wrong yeah. time. Then it's a Monday nighter against the Packers, uh, what, the week after Thanksgiving? Yeah. Then you got to go to Cincy, which is going to be one of those uh, – slobber knockers, you know, the AFC North teams. And you host yeah. the Red... Oh, my God. I didn't even... I haven't looked at this in a while. Like, a couple weeks. Well, I think when they were, yeah. like, 4-1 or 3, you know, 3-0, and I was like, oh, yeah. Here we go. Looking at the rest of the schedule. Like, oh, they got this. It looks brutal now. I know. It's this, a gauntlet. I mean, this could be a 4-12. Honestly, they could go 4-12. They, they could. The one thing is, you look... Cincinnati isn't as good as what... No, they're not very good. We they're not very good. Um, Seattle to win at that joint. It's, yeah, good luck. You know, good luck. Green Bay at home again. This team, the Eagles, are playing really well at home. It's a game in Green Bay. You know, they're kind of running back list. They're one trick pony. Yeah. But um, I look, so, all these games are winnable. But when you look at yeah. them, you go, Ugh. Well, you just look at our offense. And I just like, don't know. Like, I, I'm I'm mad at myself. If I got fool's gold with this team again after I did last year in the preseason. But when they started 3-0, and you heard me. I thought they were going to start 9-0. and And now here we are, 4-4, four and four, and I want to jump off the wall, Whitman, with Josh Huff driving. Oh, man. Now he's back on the practice squad for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Is he really? Yeah, they picked him up. What a loser. <laughs> All right, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, brother. Sorry to interrupt you. One other good news is, yeah. you know, one thing for this game, and it, it's been an element that's been missing for a while, and we're going to need this guy. Is Benny Logan looks like he's going to return to the starting lineup, which I think will be huge. He's the Eagles' best run stopper, and he gives a great push up the middle. He can create some pressure on the quarterback. So 
that's huge for the defense to get him back. That'll be a big factor. Bo Allen's been holding his own, though, brother. Ah, Bo Allen. You mean Fat Thor? (laughs) That's what his nickname was at Wisconsin. Fat Thor. That's great. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, all right, brother. Let's prediction, take... real quick. Yeah, prediction, prediction for the Falcons: uh, Eagles forty-nine, Falcons forty-two. <laughs> wow! <laughs> I don't know, man. Look, uh, no. they. I don't know what they're doing right now, and I don't know if they know what they're doing, and that's a scary thing. You know, I, I said that I blame Carson Wentz for this game. I honestly, I almost want to go up the food chain higher. I almost want to blame Howie Roseman. I almost want to blame Jeffrey Lurie. Because Jeffrey Lurie hired a guy that wasn't ready to be a head coach. I started drinking the Kool-Aid 3-0. and They got chemistry. Everybody's buying in. He's been outcoached. Okay? Plain and simple, outcoached. Clearly, Carson Wentz is not progressing, whether that's defenses have more tape or the season's catching up with them or it's just all that good fortune they had early on got lost in the bye week, but he's not. He's certainly not getting better. I'm not saying he's regressing miserably, but he's not getting better. So I don't know, you know, where the coaching is there, and some of the decisions they've made, you know, sitting out Nigel Bradham for part of that game, not addressing other situations, the depth at certain positions has been atrocious. Now this Huff thing, I mean, they look lost again at the highest level, and that's concerning. Mm-hmm. And and you know why it's really concerning, John Mita, is because if they do fall flat on their face and end up at six and ten or five and eleven, the Cleveland Browns are high fiving themselves. Yeah, because they're going to have two top that. five picks, and we're going to get the only hope the Eagles have is that the Vikings become a goddamn grease fire and finish like eight and eight. Which because otherwise, yeah, otherwise your draft pick's going to suck. Leaves is in trouble, that's for sure. All right, let's take a timeout, talk some Sixers and Flyers on the other side, try and add some positivity to this nonsense. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com and iTunes. You're listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast, exclusively on SoundCloud.com. Getting gangster with the beats on the Brotherly Love Podcast. Joe Donald John Mita back here with you. Love show, it. Show some love on Twitter. At B Love Podcast. At B Love Podcast. Tell your peeps. We're out there making a name. All right, brother. Uh, I'm going to go with a little Flyers update. Then you got a Sixers update coming. And I'm going first because the Sixers might win a game while we're on the air here. In which case, it would be breaking news. Uh, Philadelphia Flyers, 14 points through 14 games, so that means they are middle of the pack. I'm a little disappointed. I know it's still early, but I expected more from this team. And when you consider that, you know, the Penguins, no cup hangover there. They're six points better than the Flyers with a game in hand. Columbus is right on the Flyers' heels. They have four games in hand on Philadelphia. So that's the other thing is when you start getting these middle pack situations and you've played more games than everybody else, sometimes you're scoreboard watching and teams are just leapfrogging you. So, again, I thought this Flyers team was ready to take the next step. There's a lot of hockey left. But right now it's 6-6-2, six, six, 14 points in 14 games. I'm not impressed. I, You know, Steve Mason hasn't really found his game. Black Jesus continues to just, I mean, that fight 
last night against Detroit. I saw the highlight of that. He just slammed Jonathan Erickson's face. I mean, if he's not the pulse of this team, I don't know who is. And by the way, his his counterpart, Orange Jesus, oh, what a shot that was. That was world-class last night for another snipe for Claude Giroux. But they need to find more consistency. That's the word I hear all the time in professional sports, and there's no team that is showing it more right now than the Philadelphia Flyers. 500 through 14 games. They've got to get more consistent. Uh, they've already got a couple of you know, OT slash shootout wins, which is rare for them historically. Goal differential is a minus two. I mean, they've got to get more offense. They've got to get more consistent. And they got they got to find a spark, man. They have to find some chemistry and just go on a run. When is when's the run coming? That's what I want to know. That's the biggest thing. Again, I haven't watched a lot, so kind yeah. of spitballing here. But when you're 500 and you're you know almost 15 games in, you're right in the middle of the pack. Like this isn't the start you're hoping for after a year where you put in a new system and a new head coach and you're supposed to be building. You got to go on a run, and this team just hasn't done it yet. They only have four regulation wins, or four regulation or overtime wins through 14 games. It's not good enough. Yeah, um, you're right. And it's just the starts that this team gets off with. I mean, it seems like in every first period, they're down 2 nothing, And then they got to just use all their energy to come on back and fight back. And there's a couple games they were able to steal. But the consistency is not there. And... They need some contributions from some other players that are just, you know, not stepping up. And the goaltending, the goaltending has been a mystery for this team for years. Like, when are we going to get that guy that works his way up through the system that is basically, you know, our wall for the next 10 years? Like a Marty Brodeur, type like that. Like somebody that you're like, man, we're going to go for the next whatever. And... This is typical Flyers, man. It seems like this team, right? So they never get off to a hot start in their franchise history. From what I, I mean, for the last ten years, it seems like this is how it goes. Yeah, they start off extremely slow, then they get extremely hot before the All Star break, right? Then they dip again, right? But then, right before trying to make the playoff push, they get hot again going to the playoffs. And it seems like that is like the ebb and flow or the diagram for this team over the last couple of years. And, you know, hopefully they can just start some, some – they can get what you're talking about, the consistency. These guys can start playing. Maybe the rookies can start contributing a little more. Um, it's definitely an adjustment for them. But I do like – but, again, I think they're still lacking that one other superstar to get this thing rolling. So, yeah, and we'll look, here, here's the other thing you got to keep in mind. Friday, the Flyers play in Toronto against the Leafs and Austin Matthews, so that's must-see TV. But you talk about the goaltending. It's just they need a guy that you can put that can play 60 games, all right? Yeah. You, look, you have to have a great backup in today's game. The Pittsburgh Penguins proved that when Matt Murray won him a Stanley Cup if it hadn't already been proven. I like a lot of the Flyers' young players. Gossis Bears, nine points. Uh, Konechny, nine points. I mean, some of these young guys are stepping up. Drew and Voracek are a point-of-game guy. They have some guys that are producing, but it's just they're just not getting the results. And if you have a guy that can play 55 to 60 games and he 
exudes that confidence throughout the group because he's a number one netminder and he's playing like it. I, I believe in Steve Mason, but 3.23 goals against average. Neuver, it's even worse, 3.56. Their save percentage are both under 90%. With any type of goaltending, statistically, this team be in much better shape. But, you know, your point's a good one. When are they going to have somebody between the pipes to play 55, 60 games, and you just know they're number one, plain and simple? All right, what do you got? Go ahead, brother. And the goalie's just, it's like playing two quarterbacks like in college football. Yes. It, It just doesn't work. It just you got to get set on one guy, and it's his job, and then the other guy just you know, backs him up. So Maybe getting Del, Del Zotto back from injury. He's got a couple games under his belt. Can provide I some like stability. He, they yes. kind of missed him. Yeah. They missed him big time um, last year when he got hurt. Um, he'll take a while to get up the speed, but anytime you can add offense from the defense and some veteran presence, it certainly doesn't hurt. What do you got on the Sixers, brother? they get it done tonight? <laughs> no, absolutely not. So, turns out, I mean, so we were off air, Joe and I were just talking, and looked like the Sixers. Joe Henderson hits a three. They go up two points with 5.9 seconds to go in the game. Nate McMillan draws up a great inbound play. Paul George gets a 12-foot baseline jumper to tie the game. Sixers try to win it at the buzzer. They go into Jaleel Okafor, and uh, he does a step-back jumper from 18. No bueno. Now the game is heading in the overtime. Oh, they're done. So the Sixers up. So the Sixers update is they're still winless. What we've seen from Joel Embiid has been so impressive. Yes, this guy looks like he is the absolute real deal. But I'm sure it's making him madder than hell as he's watching this game home in Philadelphia, not on the road with the team tonight, due to his minute restriction. I mean, it's just so hard for him. Like. They're only playing him 20 minutes a game. So it's amazing that this guy can find a way to get 16 to 20 points considering he's only playing 20 minutes. But he is the real deal. I just saw the documentary on Ben Simmons, Joe. I think that's something you should you should tune in to. That was very interesting. It's called One and Done on Showtime. But I wanted to get to is the Sixers lost the game the other night as we talk about coaches in the city of brotherly love. We might as well talk about the Sixers coach, Brett Brown. Now, I've always been a huge proponent of him. I like the fact that he came from the San Antonio Spurs. However, the other night just had me shaking my head. Uh, they were playing the Cleveland Cavaliers. They had a chance to win the game. They're down a point. They call up an inbounds play. Okay, They had to call a timeout because they couldn't get the ball inbounds. And next thing you know, what did they do? They run the exact same inbounds play. Joe Henderson said he wants the damn ball. He can't get off a shot. I just there's just been stretches where this team has had some opportunity to win games and they just they just falter. Now we all know that their personnel is going to get a lot better, and now that we have some future draft picks. But Brett Brown, man, I think it's uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to say how good of a coach this guy is. I think we got to give him at least. Another year or two, once we get Simmons back on the floor and maybe some other, you know, potential players in the next upcoming draft. But and the other night, he, he was just – coaching performance was just no good. And the Sixers are still winless, so we're on our way back to tanking and lottery heaven. Hey, and the Lakers are playing good ball. Exactly. That's great news. Which is, that is great news. You bring up a great point. 
because I'm tired of them getting their damn pick protected <laughs> for 27 years. Let me lob, I think that is just, let me lob uh, some thoughts at you here on the Sixers real quick. Again, I watched opening night because yeah. Embiid, and I haven't watched since, but they're not on national TV much, right. obviously. Will Brett Brown be like Sam Hinkie and have died for Sixers fans since when it's all said and done? Like, does this does he get a chance to reap the benefits and win with this team, or is he just trust the process guy? And at the end of the day, they move on, and that's when they start to win. And that's not a knock on Brett Brown. I just don't know how long his shelf life is while they're rebuilding. Yeah, I think his shelf life is going to be a couple of years. Could reap the benefits because you know the big piece here right now is Ben Simmons. Yeah, and where you're going to play this guy on the floor. And this team has just been stricken with some injury bad luck. The other thing is they got to get rid of some of these big men at the trade deadline. You know, Nerland's Noel, he's coming off an injury. He wants out of town. Jaleel Okafor, I mean, there's a log jam at the center position. Both those guys have to be looking at Embiid going, damn, we ain't going to play much. No. You know? Not at all. Oh. I mean. Because if he's the real deal – and again, I don't like moving these guys. You know, I think you can find a way to make it work, but what the hell do I know? But if they're, if I'm those two guys, if I'm on the bench, if I'm in street clothes, if I'm on the court, I'm looking at him going, well, shoot, he's way better than, than I am. <laughs> you know, like, this guy's well, legit. Exactly. So, yeah, and Noel, Noel's in a contract here. So you oh, know yeah, he's, he's, he's pieced out. Yeah. Problem is, they, they don't have much leverage, but yeah, he's gone for sure. Um, all right, yeah. f- my final thing on the Sixers, all right? And I said this yeah. last year. I don't like all the losing for one reason. I feel like it breeds more losing. The only way mm-hmm. you learn how to win is by learning how to win. And if you're not yeah. winning, how do these guys ever learn how to win? So at some point, they got to turn this thing around because a lot of these close games, are they're coughing up. They're just, they don't have the moxie. And they're not damn good enough anyway. But they don't, you know, I feel like this team be winning more if they had the experience of winning more. And it's a hard thing to get. When you just keep losing all the time, and that that part yeah. of it concerns you, there's a mental block. There's a lack of confidence that comes when you're losing all the time. Any sport. I'm not just talking the NBA. I'm not just talking the Sixers. I'm talking in general. Pee wee team, college team. When you're a loser, you're a loser. It's just an unfortunate yeah. reality, and it's hard to break that mold and change the culture, no matter how much talent you put out there, because the guys that have been there are used to losing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes complete sense, and I agree with you. Um, the other part of the problem is this team is so very young. They don't have those wily veterans. And when I'm talking about veterans, they don't have those veteran guards that can settle this group down. Yeah, late in games. They can put them, where they can put them in better spots to get better shots. And that's something that needs to be addressed. I mean, we need to get some other good young talent, but I think in the offseason, too, and we have plenty of money, we also need to find some better veterans at the guard position to help this team grow for the future. Love it, brother. I got one last thing for you, all right? You ready for this? All right. Before we get on out of here. Yep. That I miss practice. If, 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 if a coach say I miss practice and y'all hear it, then that's that. I mean, I might have missed one practice this year. But if if somebody say he doesn't come to practice, it can be one practice. Out of all the practices this year, that's enough. <laughs> if I can't practice, I can't practice, man. I'm uh, hurt. I'm hurt. I love it. Practice? Oh, man. Maybe the Sixers need to practice more. Practice. It ain't about that. Not a game. It's, it's <laughs> not about that at all. You know what I'm saying? I mean, 
But it's it's it's, yeah. it's crazy to think to, to talk about. It's easy to sum it up when you just talk about practice. We sitting here. I supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. Oh, I love practice. it. I love it. Uh, uh, one of the greatest sound bites. I know. It's such good. Was just such good theater. Yeah. Um, Tremendous. And you. Matt Stairs, hitting coach of the Phillies, little uh, little love. Oh uh, yeah, Matt Stairs. In case of emergency, you Stairs. After he's criticized all the Phillies hitters from the booth, now they're oh. promoting the hitting coach. Yeah, exactly. We'll see, hey, we'll see if he can get these guys to change, you know, their approach. I mean, the crazy thing is, he was more of like a home run hitter. You know, it's not like he was a technically sound hitter like a Tony Gwynn or a guy that could use all fields. I mean. He was pretty much, he was a one-trick pony. He was up well, to just Especially late in his career, York. yeah. Exactly. So. All right, That's brother. Great. Enjoyed it as always. We'll try and both have more energy when we're not so depressed, hopefully after an Eagles win on Sunday. Good talking to you, dude. You got it. All right, buddy. All right, for Johnny Mead and Joe O'Donnell, Brotherly Love Podcast. Appreciate the love and support. Till next time. Suit. Go Birds. Thanks for listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com. 